Y'all can have a seat. Y'all can have a seat. So six years ago this week, November 10th, 2016, I was on the rooftop of the old post office in downtown Dallas, like skyline all around you at the top. And I was proposing to my now wife, Lauren, spoiler alert, she's my wife, so she said yes. But we had, we had the boxes, like it was like straight out of Pinterest. We had the little candles, we had pictures, flowers, you name it. And this scene that you're seeing here is me just kind of expressing to her, hey, this is, you are the one that I want to spend the rest of my life with. You are the one that I want to do everything with. Like, and I gave her this ring as a seal of that promise. Like, hey, you, like I'm promising that you are the one that I will be with for the rest of my life. And we did the whole party after, such a great day. So much joy, tears of joy, laughter, retelling stories, retelling how this all went down, and it was like one of the greatest days ever. But then a few days after that, as you would imagine, we started kind of discussing wedding planning. <laughs> and it felt like almost immediately that going from this emotional high, nothing can go wrong, everything is good in the world, to just complete disaster, frustration, anger, and bitterness. And within a, within a few days, we're trying, to, we're trying to discuss all these little plans. And the first one, the first question that you always come to is, what's the date? When are we gonna get married? And based on our venue and all these things, there's two options. One option, we'd wait six months. Option two, we'd wait 10 months, right? Where are my guys at in the room? What was the right option? Six months, right? Six months, that is plenty of time. Six months, you can plan. Oh, I'm not emotional about this. It's been six years, okay? Six months is plenty of time to plan a wedding. So I thought, okay, check this one off the list. Six months, we're good to go. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I would, I would like a little more time. I'd like my mom to get involved, which that was like a red flag there. Like, hey, I, I just need like some help. And like, she's a teacher. And so she would have some time over the summer if we waited to the end of summer instead of the beginning of summer. I was like, no, 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 this, this, this can't be. And then after that, it was just conversation after conversation, planning after planning, trying to figure out what is life gonna look like together? What does in-law relationships look like? Like, what kind of baggage are you? And we just kind of had conversation after conversation. And I kid you not, there were tears during one conversation over whether or not we would take our kids skiing someday. And I don't just mean like Lauren's eyes were like a, a little like misty, like full on crocodile tears. Cause I'm like, I'm not, I hate skiing. I'm not going skiing and, and just tears. We went from this, this emotional high, this promise, I'm gonna spend my, the rest of my life with you. But that marriage is 10 months away and there's a lot that needs to be done. There's a lot of work that happens 
in that engagement season. And the reason that we talk about that is because that's kind of where we're at in our passage tonight. If y'all were here last week, Chad from New Heights, who did incredible, he was awesome, he came and talked about this new identity that we have through the Spirit, this, this adopted identity as sons and as daughters. And here's where he ended the passage. Verse 16, it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Pause. If you're anything like me, I would love, I would love nothing else than to just like cut off this section right here and just be like, done. This is like God's proposal, if you will, like saying, this is what I'm inviting you into. You get to be an heir with Christ. You get to be a son. You get to be a daughter. Welcome in. Like this incredible moment of like, welcome to the family. But that's not where it ends because that's just the proposal. So verse 17 and into this rest of our passage today, we see this engagement season. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Paul says that a part of this engagement season that we're in, we've been promised these things, new life in Christ, adoption as sons and daughters, and we get to taste some of that right now. We get glimpses of that through the Spirit, who's our seal, but he says the fullness of that is coming later. And so in this in-between, it's going to take some work, and there's going to be some hard times, and there's going to be some suffering. And so if you've been with us this semester, it feels like every time I'm up here, I have the honor and the privilege of talking about suffering. I've, I've turned into like the suffering, the suffering guy here, and I'm ready to be done with that. But this is kind of the lot that has fallen on me today. So we're going to dive in. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in verses 19 through 25, and we're going to do something a little different tonight. We're actually going to start in like the middle of the passage and work our way outward, okay? We're gonna start in the middle of the passage, work our way outward, because what Paul is gonna do is show us, by comparison, that we're not the only ones in this engagement period, that we're not the only ones experiencing this suffering, but that creation itself is, is in the exact same season that we are. So here's what he says. The first thing in this season as Christians is that there's gonna be some yearning, some longing, some groaning. For creation, he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. If you don't like my marriage wedding illustration, you can take this childbirth illustration. I'm gonna save you some of the details because it's pretty gruesome and graphic, and I also don't wanna step into like mansplaining how it all happens. And so all you need to know, I've had a, a front row seat to this, is that you find out you're pregnant, and you're like, oh my gosh, we have a baby, we have a kid, this is awesome. But then the woman has to go through nine months of just nausea, pain, 
vomiting, discomfort. And then the day of, it's like, I mean, it's a battleground. It's a war zone. Again, that's all I'll say about that. But in the end, you get this child, and it's all worth it. But there's this in-between season that's, that's not ideal, that's not enjoyable. You can take, if you like that illustration better, take that one. But for humanity, he says, and not only creation, creation is not the only one that's, that's longing, that's yearning, that's groaning, but he says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Christians, we groan inwardly. Not only is creation groaning, but Christians were groaning as well. And so all you need to know is this, this groaning involves this longing for something better. When we groan, it's because we see something around us or in our lives that's not right. We see something that doesn't add up. Something is like, hey, that should not be that way. And so he's saying creation itself groans. And we see this in, in, in the natural order. Think about the very first natural disaster that you can remember. Whether that's something you saw on the news or something that kind of hit close to home, what's the first natural disaster that you remember? For me, it was Hurricane Katrina. That might be a little before y'all's time, but I remember seeing story after story after story and seeing, I, I, I had no idea how much, how much damage a hurricane could cause. For some of you in this room, it might be the earthquakes that happened in Haiti in 2012. Over 300,000 people died in that earthquake. To put that into perspective, that's over half the population of all of Northwest Arkansas. 300,000 people died in one earthquake. Or a few weeks ago, we saw Hurricane Ian rip through some islands in the Caribbean and into Florida, leaving destruction, death, disaster in its wake. Or if y'all were here about a year ago, that tornado that came through Fayetteville, Johnson, Springdale, Lowell, and, and you just see the aftermath, death, destruction, disaster. When we see those things, there's this groaning inside of us that says, that should not be like that. This is not how it's supposed to be. But it's not only creation, humanity, we ourselves see this. Just over here on campus, within the span of, what, 48 hours, we see suicide. We see overdose. We see alcohol poisoning. If we broaden that scope a little bit more in our society, we see systemic racism, we see systemic poverty, we see abuse of every kind. And then if we narrow into our own lives, we see in our own hearts, we see jealousy, we see lust, we see greed, we see pride. And when we look at all these things, something inside of us says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. And can I tell you something? That's the appropriate response. 
That's the natural and appropriate response that we should have to those things. Surely this isn't it. This is not how it's supposed to be. But sometimes we like to just sit there. Sometimes we just stay there, whether that's in cynicism or pessimism, and we just like to sit there and that's it. We love being the critic of everything and everyone. But Paul will say that Christians, when we groan, when we long, when we yearn for something better, it looks different. Because we groan, we yearn, we long with hope. He says for creation, he says for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. When you see him who subjected it, think all the way back to Genesis three. When sin came into the world, think God's curse on creation. He says, curse is the ground that you walk. It will produce, instead of fruit, it will produce thorns and thistles. But it says he did this in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And then humanity, he says, humanity also, we, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So he's saying there's a big difference between hoping for what you can see and hoping for what you can't see. Every single person in this room, whether, whether you know it or not, you are putting your hope in something. You're putting your faith, you're putting your trust into something or someone. This week is, is the midterm elections. I don't know how many of you follow politics, but I've been getting texts and emails and, and forwards and all these things day after day. I'm seeing signs everywhere saying, if you vote for me, vote for this policy, vote for this party, put your hope in us and we'll take care of you. We'll get you where you wanna go. So some of us, we put our hope in politics. Some of you in this room, you put your hope in status. It's like, if I can just be a part of that friend group, if I can be a part of that fraternity, that sorority, that social club, that major, if I could just be in that room, if I could get in that group, I'll finally have what I've been looking for. For others of you, it's success. If I can get that GPA and get that job and have that house or that, or that lifestyle or that car, if I could just if I could just get those things, that's, that's what I'm longing for. That's what I'm hoping in. That's what I'm, 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 I'm looking for, for satisfaction. If I could only get there, then I'd finally have what I'm looking for. But you see, those are all hopes and things that we can see, things that are, are tangible, things that are in front of us. Paul says, what makes a Christian's hope distinct is that it's a hope that you cannot see. It's a hope in something that, that you can't obtain on your own. 
And that hope that he's talking about is the same hope that both creation and Christians are longing for. This adoption that Chad talked about last week that we've been invited to, this offer that you can be an heir with Christ, that you can be adopted into the family of God, this promise that he's given you. He's saying, put your hope in that, that one day that will be revealed. You'll get to experience that in in full. Creation will be restored. Your desires will be made right. And this is what we see at the very end of the book. I know we hate reading from Revelation, but this is the hope that we're looking for at the very end of Revelation when Jesus comes back and all is restored, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Don't miss the wedding illustration. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This this is where we put our hope. This is what heaven is gonna be like. I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, and any time someone tried to explain what, what heaven was like, it, like it, it was always so different, and it changed. When I was, when I was little, I was like, okay, like imagine like, like the, up in the sky, you're going to be like lifted up into the sky, and you'll be with God, and I'm like, okay, like, ba- like bouncing on, on clouds and, and hanging out with God. I thought it was like a trampoline park where you're like, okay. Okay, that's like that's fun for a little bit. I, I can I can see that like these flo- like floaty cloud space, like okay. And then and then I got a little older, and they're like, they're like, oh no no, I'll, I'll tell you what heaven's like. It's like a, a worship song. You're just gonna be in heaven. You're gonna be worshiping God. You're just gonna be singing over and over and over and over and over again. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I was like, I, lo- I love singing. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not like anti-singing, but like that might, get, that might get a little old. And then they're like, no, 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 no. Here's what heaven's gonna be like. It's like, imagine your best day. Imagine Disneyland times Six Flags times Harry Potter world. Except without the sorcery, of course, because sor- sorcery is evil, Harry Potter's evil. I love Harry Potter, by the way. Imagine that. Harry Potter world, no lines. Heaven. It's going to be incredible. I'm like, okay, okay, I can kind of like wrap my mind around that. Let me try and paint you a new picture and what I think is is a better picture of what heaven is going to be like. Believe it or not, heaven looks more like the garden in Genesis 1 and 2 than it does like floaty cloud space. Like it, does, it looks more like the garden than it does like Disneyland. 
heaven looks more like your day-to-day life today if we were to take away the sin, the brokenness, everything that we said that we're groaning for, everything that we said, hey, it should not be like this, pain, sin, betrayal, jealousy. Heaven is gonna be filled with with eating and drinking and conversation and laughter and relationships and friends, all in perfect unity in the presence of God. And we get to do this together. Heaven is, is way, way better than singing a song over and over and over. There will be singing in heaven, but only oceans. That's it. We're only gonna sing oceans in heaven. Can I get you okay with that, Joanna? Is that good? Okay, thank you. Just oceans in heaven. So what we're looking for, what we're hoping in, we can't see, but it's so much better the brokenness, destruction, death that seems to be all around us is is gone. And so what do we do until that happens? If that's what we're looking forward to, what do we do now? Here's how Paul closes. He says, you wait. If Paul were speaking to this room right now, he'd say, the What you have to do now is the one thing that you are terrible at. The thing that your generation and my generation fail at miserably is what we're called to do in this season of suffering and engagement. We're called to wait. He says of creation, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God And of humanity says, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is really, really difficult for a generation that has lived their whole lives with technology, with smartphones, with everything they've ever wanted right at their fingertips that they can get in a second. It's created in you and in me this desire for instant gratification. If I want something, I need it now. If something's loading or buffering, I'm moving on. I need everything as quickly as possible. And the older you get, the more you see that the best things in life are worth waiting for. The best things in life you have to wait for. And a lot of times the things that we go for and grab because we're right here in the moment, the things that we're drawn to here and now are the things that are actually killing us from the inside, are the things that are actually destroying us. Some of you are gonna leave here and you're gonna drive straight to Taco Bell. Even though, if you were to take a second to think about it, it's gonna destroy your body tomorrow. Like, you're gonna be a mess tomorrow, but you're gonna drive home, you're gonna see the light, you're, gonna, you're on wedding team, you're like, Taco Bell, like, that, sound, that sounds really good, and you're gonna just, you're gonna go into the drive-thru, you're gonna get Taco Bell, because 
instant gratification. That's, that's, what, that's what we want. Some of you are gonna go home tonight, you're gonna turn on Netflix and you're gonna watch an episode, it's gonna be great. And, and at the end of the episode, this little thing is just next episode and it's like, it's like, it's like moving, but like slow, but kind of fast. And you're like, should I watch the next episode? I probably should go to sleep. I have homework to do. Maybe I'll read instead of watching another episode. No, that'd be crazy. I won't do that. And by the time you try and make a rational decision, the next episode starts playing. You're like, yeah, what's one more episode? No, no big deal. Some of y'all this week will step foot into a place called Target. You'll do it. I won't say which gender is most likely to do it, but there is one that's probably more likely to step into Target this week. And instead of thinking, hey, what's best for my, for like my financial future? What's best for my bank account right now? Can I afford this? Oh, well, it's my parents' credit card, doesn't matter. You're going to say, I, you know what? I really like those shoes. I really like that bag. I really like that shirt. And you're gonna just, in the moment, Grab. Maybe it's not in Target. Maybe it's at, at Lulu, at me, okay? See, I'm, I'm lumping myself in this too, okay? And you just, in the moment, you're like, yeah, I, I need that. I want that. And this cycle that we have of always getting the first thing that we want has, has created this problem in us where it's really, really hard for us to wait for something. And the only time we'll wait for something is if we truly, truly believe that it's worth it. Like those of you in the room, I'm not putting myself in this. Those of you in the room who somehow eat healthy, I don't know how you do it, but you're like, yeah, I've seen like the, the pros and cons and the benefits. And if I, if I eat healthy, then, you know, then I, I've seen the, the long-term gains that can come from it. And so you've created some eating routine, like you're eating healthy, you're, you're working out, and you're like, hey, yeah, I would love to have Taco Bell tonight, but like, but like I, I understand that the benefits down the road are better. And I'm like, I don't know how you do it. But some of you have seen that. You're like, I'll, I'll wait for what's better. Most of you in this room are in college right now. So you're in this season where I'm sure a lot of you here do not like school. Like you do not like the school part of college, the homework, the classes, the essays, the tests, but you've seen that, hey, down the road, in the long run, whether it's for the job I want, whether it's to, to have more success or whatever it is to get to, to the right grad school, you're like the benefits down the road are worth it. So even though I don't like doing homework, even though I don't like, it'd be much easier just to, to push it all off. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the hard work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna grind it out because I know I've seen that it's, that it's worth it in the end. So we are willing to wait for things if we truly believe that it's worth it. Now I'm gonna ask you a question. It's gonna sound very cheesy. It's gonna sound very youth pastor-esque. And so please don't hold it against me. I was a youth pastor for five years. I mean this seriously. Take this question genuinely. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? And do you believe 
that he is worth the wait. I don't mean that in a cheesy way. I want you to actually take a second to think about that. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? And do you believe that he is worth the wait? Because the answer to that question is going to dictate how you live tomorrow. The answer to that question is going to dictate how you live the rest of your life. And if you're in a spot right now where, you, where you're not sure the answer to that question, how you live this week will actually reveal what your real answer is to that question. Are you hoping in things that are in front of you that you can see that are, are manageable? Or are you hoping in something that's down the road, hoping in the future, hoping in something that you cannot see but that you trust? And what would it look like if this room, or maybe even a few of you in this room, were to say, it's worth it. Jesus is coming back. I want to live my life like that. And one of the famous passages that, that Jesus teaches, he talks about how he is, he is going to leave the disciples. He's going to go and prepare a place for them. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I'm going, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to bring you with me. It's a great story, but there's actually some crazy cultural context that I've missed in that story for my whole life. Jesus is actually describing a very normal thing that would happen in the marriages in, in that culture. What would happen in an ancient Jewish culture is when, when two families would decide like, hey, these people are gonna marry each other. They've decided on the bride price. They're like, okay, we'll have the celebration and they celebrate these two families coming together. What would happen is the groom and his family would go back to their house and they would build on to his father's house, like to the house he grew up in, they would actually build a separate like room or like a separate part of the house that him and his bride would eventually live in. And no matter how long it takes, they would just, they would just continue to build on that, build on that, build on that. And when it was finished, the groom and his whole family would go back to wherever the bride lived. Sometimes it was just down the street. Sometimes it was across a couple cities. And they'd go, and the second, the second they stepped into that city, the second they, they, they saw the bride, boom, the wedding starts. The wedding begins, and the celebration occurs. And after the feasts are done, after all the celebration is done, the groom would take the bride back and bring her back, and they'd live in this house that he had built for them. This is the illustration that Jesus has in mind when he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms and I'm coming back and I'm gonna bring you with me. But what you, what you don't know is that what the bride would do, the bride and her whole family and all of her friends would spend that whole time preparing, that whole time getting ready, that whole time waiting the worst thing that they could possibly do was to be somewhere else when the groom came back. 
They had to be ready for when the groom came back. And so every night, he might come back tonight. Let's make sure we're ready. Let's light those candles. Let's make sure everything's good to go. Okay, he might come back tonight. He might come back tonight. He might come back tonight. And night after night, they'd be, they'd be ready. Make sure everything's ready to go. He could come back anytime. We have no idea. And so what we're called to as Christians in this room is to live our lives as if Jesus could come back at any moment. Imagine what tomorrow would look like if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow night. How different would your day look? This is my wife and I on our wedding day. Those are real, those are real smiles this time. We made it. We waited 10 whole months. And guys, I know I'm biased, but it was the greatest party and celebration and feast that I've ever been a part of. There was so much joy, so much celebration. And we just celebrated our five-year anniversary a couple months ago. Thank you, thank you. And I, and I kid you not, it has been worth the wait. It has been way way better than I could have ever imagined. All the, all, the, all the arguments we had, all the wrestling we had, trying to figure out how are we gonna do this thing together? How are we gonna, how are we gonna merge two lives into one? All the stickiness and, the, and the, the hardships and the pain. Without a doubt, worth the wait. And being ready, preparing, having those conversations has made our marriage so much sweeter, so much better, so much easier. And I could not imagine what these last five years of my life would have been like without Lauren, truly. And this is two sinful, messed up, broken people trying to do this. Think about how much sweeter, how much greater, how much better it's gonna be when Jesus comes back. When that marriage supper happens, when he looks at us and calls us bride, when he brings us into his family, new creation, new heaven, new bodies, all the things that we've been groaning after are gone forever. And we get to be invited in to this new life with him. It's worth the wait. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you have not left us here suffering and groaning on our own, that you have given us your spirit. And so would you allow us to have an eternal perspective as we leave tonight? Would you allow us to see things like you do? Will we not get distracted by momentary, temporary things that try and pull at us each and every day? but would you allow us to fix our eyes on the things that we can't see, the things that will last forever. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, amen.